como 10 minutos. Nada más que eso. Y de ahí viene el, el, el sendero nuevamente de unos 3, 4 metros de ancho. Welcome to another episode of Strangers Abroad. This podcast is a series of conversations with the wonderful and weird people I met while backpacking throughout Latin America. These are the hitchhikers, the couch surfers, and the expats. The thrill seekers, the mountain climbers, volunteers, and society quitters. The people who, for one reason or another, made the decision to challenge themselves, to leave behind the comforts of home, to venture out into the world and see what happens. Here we go. My flight back home was from Lima, which would be a 20-hour bus ride from Cusco. And about 14 of those hours was spent on a road that felt like it wouldn't be forgiving of mistakes. The drive was at night, which I'm thankful for, so I couldn't see how dangerous it probably was as the driver snaked along the perimeter of the mountains at what felt like a comforting 75 miles per hour which made the bus rock back and forth and triggered a baby to scream behind me the entire time. So I was okay breaking up the trip. I decided to get off and have at least one last adventure before heading to my final Peruvian destination. And I had heard rumors of an oasis south of Lima called Huacchina. As we left Cusco, we also left behind the lush jungle that just begins to flirt with the Amazon. The road to Lima headed west on a terrain that is dominated by sand dunes, rocky mountains, and desolate valleys. I wasn't used to this type of ecosystem, this lack of foliage, and it made me feel empty and kind of existential and well, honestly just bored, which might have heightened my slight anxiety about returning home. In less than 100 hours, I would be on the United States soil for the first time in five months. And I wasn't sure if I was excited or not. Those last few hours of a trip can be such a conflicting time. It's simultaneously sad, the ending of something so much bigger than yourself, and saying goodbye to the opportunities you will never have again. But at the same time, you're kind of relieved that it's over. Because at a certain point, you are fatigued with all the newness and are just aching for a place that feels familiar. Food from your childhood, shampoo bottles in your own language, or a bed warped to your figure after years of sleeping in it. I find that I'm always slightly uncomfortable while traveling, which is kind of the point. And the thought of talking to people who have witnessed your development you don't have to explain yourself to, and who know parts of you that you might have forgotten on the road, becomes just as pleasurable as leaving them in the first place. When home sounds too rewarding, that's when you know it's time to come back. I arrived in Ica, an arid town that felt just as desolate as the rest stops you pass by. A transient place where no one really cares enough because they're just passing by. A blip in a traveler's life, but an eternity for those who live there. I grabbed a cab that brought me to Huacchina, 
just on the outskirts of Ica. We continued to drive through sand dunes, and I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw it, an oasis in the middle of a desert, a living cliche of all those old Hollywood films in the Middle East, when the protagonist has been stranded in the desert for too long and, and sees a mirage of a crystal blue pool of water, palm trees lining the circumference of the pool, tucked away in between the giant rippling sand dunes. So imagine that, but with a small village of tourists and locals with rooftop bars, jungle hostels, and neon boats that gently float along the top of the pool like ducks idling by, waiting to be filled with lovers on a honeymoon or children and their parents. I arrived at my hostel, which was a series of rooms that circled around an open-air kitchen bar area in the middle of the space. The walls were splashed with bright colors and painted with native Peruvian symbols, similar to those of the Nazca lines, not too far from Huacachina. A round, burly Peruvian local greeted me at the front desk, and I commented on the symbols. As he took me to my room, he explained the history of the Nazca lines. They are a series of large ancient geoglyphs in the Nazca desert, just south of where we were staying. You can see these mounds in full form clearly from the sky. These geoglyphs come in a wide variety of figures, lines, and shapes that were inspired by the natural earth and the human imagination. A handful are zoomorphic depictions of animals like birds, fish, llamas, jaguars, and monkeys, or human figures. Archaeologists believe that these giant mounds in the sand date back to 500 BC. They were discovered on foot by a Peruvian archaeologist in 1927, and then spotted from above after the 1930s, because, you know, airplanes were a thing then. Scientists have studied the Nazca lines to try and figure out their origins and inspiration, and their hypotheses range from ceremonial purposes, attempts to communicate with gods, or being used as a kind of observatory to point to the places on the distant horizon where the sun and other celestial bodies rose and set during the solstice and equinox, which many other prehistoric indigenous cultures in the Americas constructed as well. So as I listened to the Peruvian hostel owner, who do you think made them? Aliens, he said with a straight face. My people have passed down stories of alien encounters through the generations. This is also a desert land. So why are there depictions of monkeys? Trees, hummingbirds, dogs, things of the jungle. They weren't desert people, but had traveled from the jungle and were trying to communicate with beings from the sky. As he opened the door to my shared room. But before I had time to respond, he was gone. Weird. There were two beds left out of the four-person dorm, and I claimed the bottom one and began unpacking my things. Just as I was done, another person appeared into my life with a huge backpack and claimed the last bunk. Sorry, excuse me, he said as he began to take off his bag and filled whatever awkward space was left in the room. He was taller than I was with a slight Jewish accent, and uh, already assuming the answer, I just asked him where he was from. New York, he replied. But he might as well have said, I'm going to be a walking metaphor for the last few days of your journey. How about you, he asked. Also New York, I said, which is where I'll be in two days. Oh my god, that's crazy. I never meet New Yorkers abroad, but... 
I like going to the untraveled parts. Oh, so you travel a lot, I asked. Oh, all the time. I love it. I'm addicted. I've been all over. I just started this trip. I got off the plane from Lima yesterday. I took a step back, and I was like, wow. We are two people who share the same home and are on opposite ends of our journeys. This is a rare moment. As he was unpacking, we made small talk about New York and both coming from alternative perspectives about the same place of comfort and familiarity. Ugh, I'm so happy to be out of there, he said. I can't wait to go back, I thought to myself. Are you going to do the sand, sand dune tour, he asked. Yeah, I think I'm going to get ready for it, but let's grab dinner tonight and talk about our travels. I want to hear all about yours. A large group of us at the hostel were taken out to the sand dunes to go sand surfing, something that sounded more poetic and elegant to look at than actually experiencing. We were driven out to the endless sea of sand, rippling dunes that looked like waves suspended in air, cusping their crash down, threatening to swallow the oasis whole. On brightly covered boards, we lined ourselves on the precipice of the sandy cliffs and one by one flung ourselves down the dunes, a tail of sand trailing behind us like a streak of a shooting star. The cloudless sky arched above us as we surfed down, the golden yellow dunes towards the base. As I stood there with sand and crevices I wish they weren't, I realized that the desert makes me feel really vulnerable and existential, like it's too open in contrast to being able to hide in trees and the forest like my childhood in upstate New York. It feels like a giant hand from the sky can just scoop me up and carry me away. Once we returned back to the oasis and washed the sand off our bodies, Duran and I caught up and decided to eat at the hostel restaurant. Our energies were so reflective of where we were at in our journeys. Doran was fresh. He was bursting with energy and excited about his upcoming trip. Everything was wide and open and had no expectations. While I was tired, my body was sore and my belly ached for familiar foods, tastes, and smells. And avoiding talking about New York was nearly impossible. And we talked about everything. How Katz's Deli is overrated, where he thought the best ice cream was in the city, what he used to do as a kid, where I got my first tattoo, and the elation of entering and exit JFK Airport. Together, we mentally walked the landscape of those five boroughs and all the wonderful and weird parts of it. Leaving is so ambivalent. I always question, do I really want to return and end this adventure? There are so many people I still haven't met, places I haven't seen, food I haven't eaten, laughs and tears I have yet to share. And Duran's vivid memories of hours earlier wasn't helping. I love home, especially New York, he said, because all that chaos helps me enjoy nature and gives me such perspective. I get to enjoy the world more when I leave New York. Home is where you recharge for the world. Those were the exact words I needed to hear. In this conversation, Duran and I have it when we're both back in New York, and we get to hear whether his trip lived up to his expectations and what surprises he found along the way. Here's his story. Right, so we, we met in a hostel in Wakachina, and you were just starting your trip. I was just 
ending it, and you were the, although there was like lots of different people from all over the place, I think we were the only New Yorkers. In general, from all my travels that I've done over the years, it, it's rare for me to find Americans that really travel off the beaten path, I would say. But that's why like, I was so excited when I met you. Yeah. You know, in Cusco or in like, the big cities, yeah, like I meet Americans. Yes. You know, but like in Wakachina or like right. you find like someone from like America or like even from like New York, I was like, wow, this is amazing. It just made me feel like so, I don't know, the, like the feeling that I felt was... Yeah. Because when you're, I think it's something like, when you're in an unfamiliar land and everything is so different, you and I were hanging out in the middle of an oasis in a desert thousands of miles away to find something that's familiar and for you and I to talk about Katz's Deli in this oasis in the middle of Peru feels really good, do you know It was what comforting. I mean? It's comforting. Especially because I was there alone also. It was the yeah. beginning of my trip. I flew alone. I didn't really know anyone. I just showed up. This The hostel that was recommended to by someone that was on the bus, you know, I took like an overnight bus from Cusco all the way down there. So I, was, I didn't know where I was going, what I was going to do, and then like, I, I met you and I was like, wow, New Yorker, like, all right, you know, I could relate to them. Right. That would understand me and like I could actually get like some advice from all that. Yeah, I think we definitely talked about like everything that I had experienced. But I think a lot of the times our conversations just like drove back home, you yeah. know? So then after we parted ways, I went back home, you kept going on. What did you do for the, the rest of your trip? After that, I continued down to Wagaz. I went on some magnificent hikes. Waiwash is one of them, definitely one of my favorite. And Why I climbed, was it your favorite? It was a week-long hike, completely isolated from like civilization. The views there, the snow-covered mountains, disconnecting, you know, meeting new people. And I just love being in nature, which is, I don't get too much of that over here in New York. Like, I have like the upstate and stuff like that, but it's just completely different. You know, the landscapes, you can't even compare. So I was there, I climbed Pisco also, which was close to, I think, 6,000 meters. Yeah, I ended up climbing it. It was one of the hardest things I've done in my life, but definitely rewarding. How long did that take you? We hiked to the base camp the day before. But at 6, woke up at midnight, and from midnight until, I would say, 5 p.m., we were hiking, like, we the whole thing. We summiting, then coming back down and, like, wrapping up our gear like the tent and everything, and then going back to the bus. So it was like from midnight up until like 5 p.m. we were on the go. Holy shit. It was exhausting. So what, so when you get to the apex, what does that feel like? A sense of relief, like you've made it, you know, like you've overcome like this huge challenge where like the air is so thin up there, like you even, you can't even laugh. You Every half a step you take, you're like, shoot, you know, like how much longer, you know, but you see people in the distance who started before you are, they're better, like, it was, it was well worth it. Right. It was so worth it. I still have the picture on my background on my phone. Right. After two years. Right. That was the pinnacle yeah. point of your trip for sure. Yeah. So then what else did you do throughout, yeah, throughout the rest of your trip? So from there, I hiked, I did a few other hikes, Laguna 69, which is also really nice. The color of the water is over there, just magnificent. Mancora, which Where's is, that? Um, it's like a beach town, a little further north. It's the, on the border of uh, Ecuador. Okay. I would. I just wanted to like chill out there after like doing some intense intense hikes. I was like, I'm just gonna go like chill out there for a little bit, surf. Um, but I was there for like around like five six days. Then I took a bus back to Lima, and I caught um, a flight to Colombia for a friend's bachelor party, which was epic. Right. <laughs> so how many weeks were you alone? Pretty much. That whole month. That, 
so that whole like, month of June. Right, so that whole month of June, and like, not to be super cliche, but you know, mountains, metaphors, there's, it's late in there. So what did it feel like to be alone and have climbed this mountain, hiked all on your own throughout Peru, and then to be thrust back into hanging out with like, all your friends who just, I'm assuming, just want to get wasted. Do you yeah, know what pretty, I mean? pretty much. You rented a like, villa. Such and, yeah. opposites. Yeah. I like uh, putting myself in situations, and that's why I like traveling alone because I get to meet new people, and I go outside of my comfort zone, and just being out in nature. Like I really don't feel alone, you know, but I get to really like disconnect. Probably. Yeah, isolate from like all the chaos of like the city, especially growing up in New York, and you could understand, you know, yeah. just all that chaos and craziness, you know, like feeling you're just like chasing after like something, like if you're not doing something, you're not productive. So like just being out there and like just really having time for yourself, really thinking, walking like 10 hours a day, you know, fresh air, yeah. the views, meeting new people, because, you know, like we go, I went on the, the hikes I did, I, I was with like another 10 people, and you just get to know people's like background, how they grew up, where they like, and then just you hear their story, right. and it's just so interesting and fascinating. The one thing that you just said that I thought was really interesting that I've also been reflecting on a lot is you just said when you're in nature you don't feel alone even though you're probably alone or with like very few people who don't know you so why do you not feel alone when you're I in nature? I just feel connected to the nature and maybe because I didn't have it growing up because I grew up in the city like every time in nature it's like I feel at ease you know it's like wow like, right. okay, like I feel like I'm in my in my element you know, I feel like connected. Right. And like I just start running, jumping on rocks, and like right. it just amazing. It's like it's what makes me happy just to be out there. Yeah, you know? yeah. You do? Did you do Machu Picchu? Yeah, I did Machu. And just, did I did do a Sakantai. A Sakantai trek? No, wait, wait. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I did the Sakantai trek. I wasn't sure which one to do because I wanted to do the. Um, That's different Inca from the trail. Inca Trail. They have yeah. Inca Trail. You have to reserve like months in advance, right. and I was like, it's so like touristic. The thing is, I was in Peru already as a child. My parents took me. And we did it the touristic way. Obviously, I was younger. We couldn't start like backpacking and stuff. But like, that's part of the reason why I wanted to go back. I don't like doing things, you know, with the tour group. I like going off the beaten path, like more extreme. You know, like you get to like wing it and like oh. How old were you? I was probably fourteen years old. Okay. Old enough for you to be like, I want to do this a little different. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why, like, and my parents didn't understand. Like, we took you there when you were younger. We did, like, Niema. We did Cusco. We did Machu Picchu. Why are you going back there? I was like, no, I wasn't there. I want to do it proper. That's and that's another reason. Sorry to cut you off. But I that's the, another reason why I don't want to do the Inca Trail. It's commercialized. Right. Everyone talks about it. But, like, you don't really hear about the Slack and Thai Trek. So what was that? It's a five-day five trek. You start up climbing up. You go through, like, um snow-covered mountains and then you end in the jungle so it's cool you get a little bit of uh, both yes yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, so yeah, I, yeah no i feel you and i think that's also really interesting that your parents were like what do you mean you've already been there and you're like no i wasn't there so because i often think about the difference between traveling alone and traveling with people and i think that they're both valuable but they really do they really do provide a different like experience and like you said connection with where you are. I think that it, when you have a travel companion, you're focused more on that relationship and like working through that relationship together. Whereas when you're alone, you're just you're submerged in that moment. Yeah. So I like That's traveling right. alone. You know, 
yes. in the city, you know, over here at home, like, I'm always surrounded by people I know. You know, like, over there, like, I really get to meet new people. And when you're traveling with that, either, like, a friend, a significant other, you know, it's like, you're not as inclined to, like, going and meeting new people. You know, but when you're on your own, at least me, I like meeting new people. So, like, I'm an extra, I'll go out and I'll meet people and, I'll, like, try all these different things but sometimes when you're traveling with someone they might not see eye to eye with you and they might not want to do that so it'll hold you back and I did do a trip like that to Thailand with a friend and we didn't like see eye to eye to something so like caused some tension and ever since that trip and again this is like one of my best friends I'm still in touch with her you know like I know her since I was 10 years old I don't I prefer not to travel with anyone unless it's like a ski trip or something like that but like if I go backpacking I want to be on my own just so I can do whatever I want meet new people and not like feel like I'm being held back just because someone doesn't want to go on this hike or they don't want to go on on scooters or like yeah. all this like other crazy or extreme thing. Yeah. Traveling with someone, so there's like you could be at the same place but have a totally different experience whether you're traveling alone with your family, a significant other, friends. You could be in that same place but your experience is completely different. Okay, so you did the bachelor party in Colombia and Cartagena. And you what? In, in Cartagena. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and so, how much longer were you in South America and then went to Colombia? So, I was in Colombia for like three weeks, so it was actually a crazy story you won't even believe. No, I, I, tell me, <laughs> tell me, that's what we're here for. <laughs> Alright, so I met my friends in Cartagena for the bachelor party. And we had like all these activities set up. One of the days I wanted to go scuba diving, because I like scuba diving in like every place I go. And from there, like me and my buddies met these two sisters that were also scuba diving, really nice girls, and we just like all connected, and we rented a boat the next day, we invited them, one of the sisters came with us, but she was like a bit skeptical, 12 dudes, you know, only me, you know, like, I don't know if I really feel safe, but like, she like, ended up, you know, going with her gut feeling, and she felt safe, and she came with us, we all like, got along great, and then the next day, her family rented a boat, so she invited us, not all of us could have were able to join because some of them were flying back to the states. We were only there for like a long weekend, but I, because I was backpacking, I was able to join. I went with them, got along with the parents, with the family. So, and what they, was their nationality again? Colombian. Colombian. Yeah. So, oh, another detail before okay. that. I was like, I'm not sure if I can come because I have to find a hostel oh, to okay. stay at because like we had to give up the house that we rented. And they told us, they told me, don't worry, you could stay with us. They had like place that they were staying so they put me up I was like amazing so I stayed in them the night and then again really lovely family so welcoming opening up their doors like I felt like I was like their son and after I was about to leave they told me why don't you come visit us in our you know in the city in our house in Cali so I was like oh I'm not sure we'll see because that wasn't my plan I met someone in uh, I said I'm going to reconnect with them after the bachelor party and I basically met up with him, traveled with this guy that I met afterwards, and I was like, I finally decided, like, what better experiences, you know, can I have than actually being with locals, you know, in their own country. They'll show me, like, things that you won't even find in a lonely planet or anywhere, just because they grew up and they know the ins and outs of their own place, you know, their own city, their own country. So I ended up staying with them for, like, four days, experience of a lifetime. That's actually, I, I'm still in touch with them, and I flew to Colombia this past January, and 
their daughter lives in Australia now. She really like helped me out when I landed there. So it's like everything connected. It was just right. like, amazing. Yeah. That's so awesome. So what were some of the secrets that they showed you, like food-wise or location-wise, that you were like, oh my god, I would not have found this if I didn't hang out with these strangers. Food-wise, like the empanadas. Arepas. Arepas. Oh my god. Yes. The ways and the different ways they make it was just amazing. Going on hikes that I would never go on my own. Just because like the stories that you hear, but it's all like BS. At least where they're located. We went into the jungles and they showed me around. And even like this time around, I was there for two weeks. We went into like the jungles and like we did all these like crazy things that me alone I would never be able to do. But because like they know where to go, they know the people that I really felt safe and. And oh, then wait, from and then there, you, yeah. I flew to Cuba. Right. And yeah. so, how long I was, like, so hesitant, then? though. This is going to be a little bit uh, yeah, no, disgusting, but I got, like, a bug before, like, the night no, before. No, tell me about it. And yep. I was like, shoot, like, what do I do? You know, like, I couldn't, like, leave the bathroom. I was, like, yeah. the bathroom the whole night, and, like, the next day, I'm supposed to catch a flight. I'm supposed right. to take a, from Cali to Bogota, I took, like, a 10, 11-hour bus. Right. And then from there, I was supposed to catch a flight to to Havana and then I was like shoot what do I do how am I gonna right. be on a bus now like all night I'm just like on the toilet what happened right, right, right. and I was like bugging out you know yeah. like I didn't eat anything I didn't drink anything but it was bad because I was like dehydrating I was like my brother's a doctor so I like you know I was like trying to be on touch with him like what should I do he's like take this and this medication if you really need to for the bus prefer for you not I prefer you not to take it you know this way you let the bug out yeah because you know yeah but I also, I didn't want to be like being like sick. I don't want to be admitted, but like my brother, like, because he's a doctor, he's like, he has, they told, he told me that he had like one of the best like medical, uh, Cuba does? Yeah. Cuba. So you have nothing to worry about. They're really like up to par with everything. Uh-huh. So I ended up going, I ended up feeling better once I land there. But it's so much part of the risk and it's so much part yeah. of like the experience is this is my body in a new environment. It doesn't handle this type of food very well. It just makes it stronger. It just makes it stronger. Exactly. Okay, so you ended up getting to Cuba. Thank goodness. And then how was that? How long were you there for? Uh, just eight days. Yeah, it was short. Right. But it was nice. Also, like, alone, I didn't know where to go. I was like... I also like that you're like... Oh, eight days is a really small amount of time where like most people would be like, I spent over a week in Cuba. People who do long-term backpacking, we spoil ourselves. And like, I But you get that taste of like, you know, being able and that luxury to travel for such a long time. Yes. For me, for some countries, like I won't even go, like I really wanted to go to Argentina, but I knew I only had a month and a month is not enough for me there. So I refuse, and I haven't been there yet, but I'm like, I'm not going there unless I have like two months at least. I know, and I know, like it's like sounds crazy. People are like, "What are you talking about?" Like, you know, but you can at least do like some places. I was like, "No, if I don't do it properly, I am not gonna wait till I have that opportunity." No, exactly. So, were but you it, in like more rural areas in Cuba? Yeah, my favorite place was Vinales. Okay. Vinales was amazing. Uh-huh. I skydived over there. Holy yeah, shit. I was like a bit hesitant uh-huh. to me, but I met uh, this German girl. Then we were talking. She's like, "You know, if it's your time to go, it's your time to go." And I was like, you know what? You're right. How do you compare the feeling of skydiving to, like, climbing the mountain? I, I enjoyed climbing the mountain more. I got more of a satisfaction because you work for it. You know, you get to that top and you can actually be there. And along the way, you look back and you see, like, wow, I just hiked up this amount. Keep on walking a little bit more. You look at the peak, you're like, wow, it's so much closer. But then, again, a lot of people, like, I feel sometimes forget to look back when they're trying to just look forward. But a lot of times what I do is I just stop 
and I turn around, I look behind me, I look to the sides, and I just like enjoy, you know, the nature right. and the landscapes around me, which is like, right. and that's why when I hike, I'm like usually the last one, or I'm like like all the way like out to the side, like I'm not like where the group is, just cause like I like feeling, you know, this is my area, this is my zone. That's a really interesting observation, like I've never thought of it. But to take that moment and like celebrating, like look at what I've already accomplished, yeah. I don't think a lot of people do that. I think a lot of people are like, okay, my goal is done, especially in New York. It's like, okay, my goal is done, what's the next one? Yeah. When do I keep? And I fall into that trap as well. You know, it's like, right. it's funny because I took a little mindfulness and spirituality class in the workplace last semester. Awesome. And... They made us do a yeah vision board yeah. and things that you want to accomplish. And just being in New York, you know, like you don't really really realize. And I put on my vision board all these things and I had to present to the class and they looked at me and like you accomplished, you know, like almost everything that you put on your vision board. I'm like, you know, like I took a step back and like you're right. I was like, oh, I want to climb this, you know, or like I want to do that. Like it's different mountains, but like. Right. The fact that I have like achieved those things, like it's like sometimes you forget because you're so like caught up in just like chasing that next thing because everyone's just like in this rat race, you yes. know? Like you're like you're chasing your own tail and yeah. like you don't even realize because you're so caught up in like doing the next thing and you're not living the present, you're not living the moment, and that's why I felt like for me to really like connect with myself was like get out of it. And people thought it was extreme of me moving to Australia right now, but for me like getting as far as I could away from like. Everything was so like comfort comforting to me. It's actually really helped me like get to know myself and what you know what my purpose is. These past two months, because I've been there for two months, I really had a lot of time to think and reflect on you know like what I'm doing with my life, what's my next move, and it's been amazing. And in New York, it was so hard for me to actually connect with myself because you always feel like you have to do something. I landed on Sunday, on like Saturday night, and I found myself just like, ever since I got here, just like running around, graduation, then doing this, doing that, blah, blah, blah. and like, that's why I feel like I always have to be on the go. And a lot of people don't realize that. They think that's how life should be, and I really disagree with it. Yeah, I understand like it's important to make money and like build your future, you know, but you could do that, but in a more mindful way of like being good to yourself, listening to your body and not overworking yourself. And for me, like, when I was in school, that's why I traveled so much. It would really let me connect with myself and, like, disconnect from what was going on, yeah. you know, in New York. Out of all of the places you've ever traveled to, which one surprised you the most? Surprised me? Yeah. Wow, that's a tough question. <laughs> was there one that you went in with no expectations? Or different expectations? Just, I would say Bolivia. Yeah. Yeah. Bolivia, I was only supposed to be there for a month. I ended up staying there for three months. And I just fell in love. Like, I love the nature there. I found, like, the mountains to be amazing. The city itself was so-so. Um, I just stayed, Yeah, La Paz. Yeah. It was dirty, but, like, I liked it because for me it was different. I don't want to be, like, in a nice, clean city where I'm comfortable. You know, it's like I have that here. Again, I'm looking for something different, you know? They always say you want something, but you don't have... But um, it does, like, it made me appreciate also what I have back home. You know, coming back to New York, you're like, wow, I'm so fortunate. Right. But Bolivia was just, I really felt out of, like, all the countries that I've backpacked through that I really got to feel like I'm part of, like, lo like I knew the locals there walking down the street. I was there for three months. You know, even though, like, in between my hikes, I would come back to the city to, like, regroup, rest, and then, you know, meet more people and then go down on a different hike. But I really got to know the people, like knew the, like the locals knew me at the shops and stuff. So it was like really comforting. Right. 
Right, so, right. That's awesome. Nam is also one of my favorites. It was one of my scary ones. It was last year, actually. Okay. Because it was like the first time that I... South America, I already feel like it's my second home. Or like third home, because I go to Israel so often. That's, that's <laughs> like second home. But Southeast Asia, I was only one time before, and that was with a friend. And it was the furthest that I'm actually going... I was going like far away from home on my own. I was like actually getting nervous. Even though like I backpacked on my own and everything, it was just like something about it that made me nervous getting on a flight, going all the way out there on my own, not knowing anyone, landing at like 2 a.m. I like to usually land during the daytime just so like I can see what's going on and it's more comforting, you know? Yeah, I landed there late. I told, I already had a room reserved at a hostel. Got there at like, I don't know, 3 a.m. by the time everything. And it was just like super dark. I didn't know where I was going, but I was like, let me just go with the flow. And I ended up meeting two Dutch guys and an Aussie guy that I ended up traveling with for like the most of the duration of my time there. And we just, till this day, we're on WhatsApp, like, you know, like, sending messages like right. screwing around with each other and stuff right. so and That's it's the so people good. that you meet you know yeah. like i could have had like i don't want to say worst time but a different experience meeting like different people we were just like in the same mind you know we wanted to rent scooters we wanted to do this we wanted like how do friendships that you make abroad how are they different from the friends that you have at home it's mm. a good one or are they the same i just no i wouldn't say that like friends over here, you don't love backpacking the way I do, and the people are actually obviously that I meet out there love backpacking. We just, like I met them at a hostel. Yeah. You know, they were out there like backpacking through Southeast Asia. You know, it's something that they enjoy doing. So it's just like a different kind of like friendship. Mm -hmm. You know, like over here, it's like more of like they really know me. Like I know for a while over there, they know like a different side to me. Yeah. They just see a different side to you. They see a different side to you because like you're right. Like not all. Your friends here are into backpacking, right so you're doing like people, all those hikes and like right. doing all these like extreme stuff. You're finding the people who like have those commonalities with yeah. you, so it doesn't matter what you're, where you are raised, or like you, your background or anything. And you that just having that makes you bond so much faster. Yes. Think about it. I met, I landed like at night. I woke up in the morning because of the jet lag. I woke up at like seven, eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And from that same second, I walked to the lobby and met him. I was with them. Till the last week of my trip. It's, yeah, that's amazing. That's like, amazing. Think about it. Had I slept a little bit longer, I wouldn't have met him. Had I like came down earlier, I wouldn't have met him. It's like how things just like happen. And I, I would have had a completely different experience. Like I, completely. I think about that all the time where it's like how the dominoes kind of fall. And like yeah. if they hadn't have fallen in this one way, like right, if I had else. slept in by like two minutes, my trip would have been so different. But I wouldn't have even known that it would have been different because of the people that I did or did not meet. Oh, God, that's so exciting. Even like, like meeting you. Had yeah. I got there a day later, yeah. you know, and she's, oh, I'm going to stay in like, Who's go for a little True. bit of party? I wouldn't have met you. No, exactly. I feel like everything is, happens the way it should be. Yeah. Right. It's. I feel like, especially when you are traveling, that whole like idea of destiny or fate gets exactly. kind of weird. Yeah. You know, you're like, how do I interpret this? But I think like you also mentioned like at the end of the day, you're just like, whatever happens, happens, and I'm appreciative of what does happen and like how the dominoes do fall and whoever I meet is huge I don't I, I'm always like hesitant to say like meant to be I like never know if I really want to meant to like They're meant to be yeah like okay. meant to meet them oh. like I'm meant to okay, yeah, yeah. experience them versus 
I never know. I'm still grappling with that one where it's like, is it purposeful? Because I think, I think so. that everybody I think, you meet gives you something. something. Yeah. You know? I think like everything, even like this story with like, you know, Colombia or like, it had meaning in a different way. Right. What does home feel like when you come back? What does it feel like to stand in your room or your apartment after you've returned from traveling? I learned, it makes me really, because a lot of the countries I go to are third world, so it really makes me appreciate the little things. You know, like the things like I would complain about or say, oh, I'm not comfortable. I mean, it's like, you know, some people don't even have the bare minimum. You know, when I was in Cambodia, I was helping, I volunteered in one of the villages that their roof is like leaves from like a palm tree. I helped them sew it, but like everything fell apart because like they had like bad rains. You know, like I had a, I have a roof over my head, you know, like I have like, I can't, I feel like guilty, like complaining or like, oh, I need like this new like item or something, you know, it's like really makes you appreciate, you know, what you have. Do you have a specific travel quote or saying that like kind of keeps you going? Travel as much as you can, as far as you can. Thank you so much. This has been phenomenal and a great like final interview. So thank you. My conversation with Duran that night confirmed my need to return, to allow my body to rest, to wash the world off of it, and to come back anew, hopefully a wiser, kinder, more open Adrian, there to show the wonders and importance of travel for your self-growth to others. Travel isn't about the Instagram photos in front of Machu Picchu, the souvenirs you bring back, or the nights of partying. And although I was ready to see familiar faces, I knew that New York was no longer my home. When you travel, you realize the concept of home becomes harder to define. Yes, there are superficial aspects of my home that I love and miss. The lushness of upstate New York, my mom's sense of humor, laughing with my sisters or gardening with my father. But the more you travel, you realize that home stops being a tangible space and transforms into an abstract idea of you being able to be alone and content with yourself. Home should be where you are your most comfortable and spend your most time, and that is from within. We tend to blame our issues, anxieties, depressions on other people or a place and think, well, maybe if I can just get away from them, I can finally be happy. But travel shows you that most of your problems are not location-specific, they follow you wherever you go. By stripping yourself from the comforts of home, you're able to analyze what issues are still smoldering within you, and you learn that there's no escaping them until you face them head on. I learned how to sit with my loneliness and lack of direction, the two feelings that would wake me in the middle of the night and drove my travels, and I thought that maybe if I ran faster and traveled farther, I could eventually escape them. But whatever your problems are, dear listener, you cannot run from them. You must learn to sit and tackle them. Because once I realized that I am comfortable with myself and I'm learning how to tame my demons, it allows me to live comfortably anywhere I choose to rest. 
And when I inhaled American air for the first time in five months, I realized that home hadn't changed, but I did. In our season finale, we go through all that we've learned from the wonderful and weird people we met from five months of traveling and highlight the importance of talking to strangers. Next time on Strangers Abroad.